there's certain things that happen in your life that simply allow you to know you're getting old. About two weeks ago, I'm driving down the road and I'm flipping through the stations and I get to the river, 97.1, classic rock. And the DJ says, man, we're excited today. Hey, Atlanta, blah, blah, blah. We're bringing you a block of music, the Bon Jovi block. And I thought to myself, Bon Jovi on classic rock? Like, what's classic rock about Bon Jovi? And they started playing the first song, and I'm singing along because that's what I do in the car because I can sing in my car. And they get to the second song. You can't sing in Christine's car because Christine and Emily like to inform you that every word to the song you think you know is wrong. So I tell them I'm freestyling. And suddenly by the third song, it hit me. These songs are 25, 30 years old. They are classics. And what classics they are. I mean, let's just be honest. And those of you young people that missed out on the 80s, you just don't realize what you missed out on. You grew up in the brandless generation. If you grew up in the 90s, it was blue jeans and flannel shirts, music about killing yourself. Do the 2000s really even have an identifiable, um, is that the right word it is in my language? They don't even really have a music or a style. The 80s were incredible. Big hair. Now, I went to Monroe last night. Has anybody been to Monroe, Georgia? I went to watch, not only is Monroe country, I went to watch a wrestling show in Monroe. It was whole nother level. I did not know that the 80s were still alive, but they are in Monroe. The 80s live on, we, we have several hairstylists in this church. If you're a hairstylist, raise your hand. One, Lisa, I don't know if Dre's here, Dre's here. In Monroe, I don't know what you called it where you grew up, but the Kennesaw Claw is alive and well. I mean, man, every lady, I'm talking about like ladies in their 20s and 30s had the Kennesaw Claw going on, the big poof in the middle. It was amazing. The 80s were awesome, man. Big drugs, big partying, big music, big styles. I mean, the A-team, the Dukes of Hazard, Miami Vice. Man, I remember having a Miami Vice jacket. I had a members-only, the black members-only, because the only cool members-only jacket was the black members-only jacket. I'm not proud of this, but I had the Michael Jackson Thriller jacket. Be honest, how many of you ever owned a pair of parachute pants? Oh, yeah. I used to have the, uh, the shirt that you was a black shirt, and you would zip it here, and it would fall down and have red fishnet under it. You laugh because you know what I'm talking about. I got on eBay this week because we've got this big 80s party. I was like, what am I going to wear to the 80s party? Does anybody remember 
I think they were called, and when I Googled it, that's what I found, hyperthermia shirts, and you would put them on and they would change colors, and we thought it was so cool, but really they only changed colors where you were sweating. So like under your arms, they would turn neon green, or like right here in the fold of your gut, they would like turn neon colors, and we're like, man, that shirt's so cool, looking at you, I'm like, yeah, it's just sweat, you know. Hey, are those Bugle Boy jeans you're wearing? I mean, like, man, the 80s were awesome. And the king, one of the kings of the 80s was Brian Adams, man. Every movie that came out, he wrote the love song for that movie. And Summer of 69 was incredible. And, man, I loved everything about it. And for years I sang that song thinking about this guy. And I always thought the song was about this guy singing literally about the best year of his life. How great 69 was and how it was great and he, he found his girlfriend on the porch and his band. But really as you begin to look at the song, and the song's really kind of a song of regret. It's now 1985. It's almost 20 years later and he's still singing about what happened 20 years ago. 20 years earlier, when he's 19, 20, right out of high school, he, in his mind, lived his best life. How depressing. He looks back and thinks, man, the greatest year of my life was when I was 20 years old, and really it wasn't that great of a year because he didn't end up with the girl and the band broke up, and he missed out on all kinds of things, and he's lived 20 more years, and he's lived a life of regret. And the reality is so many of us live the same way. Our greatest memories are in our past. We look back and talk about the good old days. We talk about how things used to be. I went to Monroe last night. I told Christian, I said, it's the weirdest thing in the world. And I'm not the biggest people person in the world, and I get that. But Monroe was very close to Decula where I grew up, and Decula was a very small town when I grew up there. It is not a small town now. I drove through there. And I had five different people come up to me at the Monroe show. I think their fathers and mothers were related. They were different. And everyone's like, hey, you remember me? And I was like, No. Like I grew up in the cool of my whole life. I was like, no. Yeah, man, you remember down at Flat Rock? And like, like they were talking to me like these things happened yesterday. I was like, no, I don't remember that, man. Like I should, and I, you know how sometimes your mind's telling you to say one thing? Like I was, my mind was saying, just say you remember where they go away. But I couldn't, and then literally this kid came up to me, and man, he was probably a great, well, I say he was a kid, he was 40-something years old. Hey, see, you remember when we went to church together when we was 10 years old? I don't remember going to church when I was 10. I know. How's Steve? Steve's my dad, so I'm like, crap, this dude knows me. How's Steve? He goes, you remember? And Oscar pulls out his phone, shows me this picture of a girl. You remember her? No. That's my sister. That's what my dad looks like. And I'm like, I'm just like, and, and like, he kept trying to give me boiled peanuts. It was just weird. But people live in the past. 
And I think Monroe is in the past. It was a unique town. But man, if you're going to go back and look back, I think we ought to look back with fondness. And we ought to look back with greatness. We ought to live a life of no regrets. But our best days ought to not be 20 years ago. Our best days ought to not be 10 years ago. Let me make this very clear. Our best days ought to not be last year. We get one shot at this thing called life. And it is the most amazing gift next to salvation that God gives us. There are no do-overs. There are no comebacks. There is no second chance when your last breath is here, is done. And so many of us are living life, and we're living life with regrets. We're living life with missed opportunities. We're living life with grudges, and we're living life with unforgiveness. And we're allowing things that happened 10 years ago or three years ago or crap six months ago affect us today. And we're just like this guy in this song. It seems like a really great song, but it's a song of regret. I don't ever want to look back on my high school days and say, man, those were the best days of my life. I want, is it June 2nd? I want June 2nd, 2019, married to Christine Lamb and raising 737 kids and cats and dogs. Yeah, I said we got a cat now. Deal with it. We'll move on from that. No, don't be clapping. She snuck that crap in. She snuck that crap in. Oh, listen, Gary, there's something under the house, meow. Oh, I think it's mommy left it. We're going to crawl under the house. I'm not crawling under the house. There's snakes under the house. Pulls it out. Look, it's mom left it. It's horrible. So, cool. We saved a cat because we save everything. That's what she does. She saves everything. If it's breathing. I'm cool with it. Until I go take the dogs out two days ago, and I walk to the side of the house, there's a bunch more kittens and a mom. That mom didn't go nowhere. Mm-hmm. You broke up that family. So then she's like, we're going to go get these cats too. Well, that's fine. We can go get them to the shelter. But man, life's nuts. But I want that life today to be the best life I've lived. And then I want tomorrow to be better than today. And I want 2020 to be better than 2019. We need to get to the point that we realize, man, life is a gift. And in the grand scheme of things, it's nothing. The Bible says this in James 4. It says, why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're simply a mist. That appears for a little while and then vanishes away. You been around anybody vaping before? They vape and the smoke comes out and it goes away. In the grand schemes of the world, the universe, that's our life. We get one shot at this amazing thing called life. And so many of us live the one life we have with a life of regret. A, a life of could have been, should have been, would have been, instead of has been. And my encouragement to you today is, don't ever let your life become the summer of 69. 
It can sound real catchy when you're telling it to everybody. It sounds really good when you're throwing out those stories and you're sharing your favorite memories. But at the end of the day, every day ought to be a life that we're living and we're seizing and we're grasping every single moment. And we're riding that thing for all that it's worth. I just got to be honest with you, man. I love life. I've had moments where I didn't love life. And I look back, with that's probably my biggest regret in my life is the moments where I allowed life and the heartaches and the pain and the circumstances of my life to stop me from enjoying and living life. <laughs> I've kind of shared this before, and it's kind of one of those weird things about me. It's kind of one of those things that you're like, man, that's kind of kooky. But I dig graveyards. I just think they're cool, man. And the one behind the Cherokee Art Center is amazing. I mean, there is some just history back there. And as you go back there, you'll see some amazing tombstones and amazing crypts and different things. And, man, there's, there, there's, there's graves back there that go back before the Civil War. That's amazing to me. It's always interesting the times I've been back there to look at the names on the tombstones. Because as you look at the names, a lot of the names are still very prominent in Canton, because Canton is a very traditional town, hence why we're such a traditional church. <laughs> but there's an amazing thing on the tombstones. The big ones, the vaults, the small ones, the ones that you can barely read what's on there because you could tell they were just rocks that somebody etched the stuff into. There's always the name. There's always the date of birth. There's always the day they died, and everything in between is the dash. That dash, that little afterthought, the thing that connects the day you were born and the day you die, at the end of the day, tells our story. Everything we do, everything we accomplish, every success we have, every failure we have, every win we have, every loss we have, every victory we have, every letdown we have, every hurt we have, every whatever we have in life, every ounce of joy can be summed up in something so simple as a dash. The story of our lives comes down to the dash. Everything you do, everything you achieve, the good, the bad, the ugly, when you die, is summed up in the dash. <laughs> I, I think it's funny. We're a couple of weeks out, about five, six weeks out from Easter. And it's like we can only read this scripture on Easter. But I think there's no greater example of gravestones and tombstones in the Easter story that says after the Sabbath at dawn, the first day of the week. <laughs> you know what's amazing? This scripture is just as good when it's not Easter. It's amazing, ain't it? Mary Magdalene, the other Mary, went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, and an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and go to the tomb, rolled back the stone, and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow, and the guards were so afraid of him, they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid. For I know what you're looking for, Jesus, who was crucified. He's not here. He is risen. Come and see the place where he lay. 
I, I mean, this isn't your normal graveyard scene, but it's the reason we celebrate Christianity. It's what separates Christianity from every other major religion. It's not a religion. It's about a relationship with someone who conquered death. And we get to have a one-on-one -on -one relationship with our Heavenly Father because of that. He's alive. We serve a God today who is alive. And because He's alive... He wants us to be fully alive. And what we need to realize is that living is more than breathing. We live in the day and time of the walking dead. People are walking and breathing and sometimes talking, but they're not living. Can I tell you something that was real interesting about going to Monroe last night? Where I went into this old gym was in the middle of nowhere. And when I tell you the minute you pulled in the parking lot, your phone said no service. <laughs> to call Christine to let her know, hey, if somebody happens, man, you're not going to be able to get in touch with me. I just want you to know I had to walk way, way, way out to the main road. And I got to be honest with you, for a few minutes I started Jones and I was like, man, what's going on? What's that? Well, someone needs to get in touch with me. I'm just finding a reason to leave because I'm like, man, I'm scared. I'm hearing banjos anyway. And I was there for three and a half hours, and probably for the first time in a long time, enjoyed every moment of what I was experiencing because I was in the moment and not on my phone. I wasn't worried about checking in on Facebook and taking pictures of say who won, and it's a competition, their competition for me. So I wasn't interested in getting on, I was interested in doing it, getting on there and taking shots at them, but I couldn't because I couldn't get on my phone. And when I left there and I'm driving home, it was interesting how I could go back and remember so much stuff because instead of just being there, I was in the moment while I was there, fully alive and enjoying it. And so rarely in life do we do that anymore. We're the walking dead. Life is too short to live life with regrets. People ask me all the time, man, what about this screw-up and that screw-up and this screw-up and this screw-up? Do you have any regrets? Man, I had things that I wish I could go back and change. And if I could do over again, I would do over again. But I can't. So I don't live with regrets because those mistakes made me who I am today and put me where I am today. And without every one of those things falling into place, I wouldn't be here today doing what I do today, how I do it. And I love my life today. So many of you are looking back like it's the summer of 69 and you're living with regrets. You can't have a healthy marriage because something happened in your marriage 10 years ago and you haven't got past it. Some of you can't have a healthy relationship with this person because you're holding on to what happened with the last person. Mm -mm. Here's what you need to know today. God the heavenly father, the one who spoke everything into existence, the one in Genesis 1 who looked out and saw nothing, the earth was null and void, and began to speak things into existence. Listen, we have a creative God today. I mean, look what he created. That same God created you. That same God loves you. That same God has a plan for your life. 
He conquered death. He rose from the grave where you and I could experience a life of changing the world. We're left here to make a purpose. We're, we're left here to carry out the vision that God has us. We are not left here to live a life of regrets. We're not left here to live a life of going through the motions. We're not left here to allow every day to be Groundhog Day and get up and it's the same thing every single day. Life is ours and we need to seize it. But Gary, you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know what I'm going through. We're always going through something. But life is there, and it's amazing. The Bible says in John 10, 10, Jesus said, I have come so that they can have real and eternal life, a more and better life than they ever dreamed. I don't know about you, but I, I, I can dream pretty big. Like, I have more fun in my dreams than most people have awake. And God says, as crazy as your dreams are and as crazy as what you want for your life, I got stuff better for you. I've got more things planned for you and more purpose and more fulfillment, but I can't do anything with you because you're living life going through the motions. You're not living the life of passion that I created you for. Make no mistake about it today. God wants you to live a passionate life. God wants you to live a purposeful life. God wants you to live a life where you are fully alive. Yet God wants this for us, but very few of us ever experience it. Most people exist, but they don't live. So how do we live that life of no regrets? We need to understand that life is meant to be lived passionately. And that's a key word right there. I want you to focus in on that word passion. Life is meant to be lived passionately. Nothing, nothing great ever happens without passion. The driving force behind all great art, all great music, all great literature, all great drama, all great architecture. The, 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 the key behind every great marriage and every great parent can be summed up in one word, and that one word is passion. Passion is what makes things great. Passion propels athletes to break records. Passion pushes scientists to discover new cures. Passion is what gives us life. Passionate Life is the kind of life we were created to live. If we're going to make the most of our life, do not miss this today. Do not gloss over this today. Don't think I just picked some random word today. If you're going to live the life you were created for and you're going to seize every moment and you're going to capture every memory and you're going to make the most of every day, you have to live life passionately. Mark 12 says this, we know the verse I've read a thousand times, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. I like the message translation of it. The message paraphrase, it's not a translation, it's a paraphrase. Eugene Peterson said, he interpreted it this way, so love the Lord God with all your passion, 
all your prayer and all your intelligence and energy. Here's what we need to understand today. Everyone here today was created with passion. Don't miss this. Being passionate has nothing to do with being an extrovert or an introvert. We live in a day and time where we think you have to have my kind of personality to be passionate about something. Being passionate doesn't mean that you're always jacked up on Mountain Dew, man. You're Facebook live and you're screaming and slinging and, and doing whatever it takes to get people. That has nothing to do with passion. In my life, that's just how my passion exudes itself. Passion has to do with feeling things so deeply. Having something that makes your heart leap. Having something in you that makes you get out of bed in the morning because you know you get another shot at this amazing freaking thing called life and you're going to grab that day and you're going to take the most of it because you don't know if you're promised tomorrow. We got to have passion. <laughs> Bible says in Romans 12, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. I, I think that's a real key phrase right there. Never be lacking zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. The word keep to me implies that you might be able to lose it. We need to keep our spiritual fervor. We need to keep our zeal. Because if we don't keep it, we don't work towards it, we don't embrace it, we don't let it consume us, we will lose that passion. How many of you remember when you got married? Everybody's married should probably raise their hand. You remember how awesome it was? Guys, you remember when you would leave your dirty socks beside the bed and she'd just come pick them up and smile? You'd come home and, man, she had had a rough day and you'd had a rough day, but you'd see each other and your hearts would flutter, your face would light up. You're passionate about each other. Now you're 15 years in, and you come home, and you still love each other. And a lot's happened in those 15 years. I get it, man. You've raised kids and had this happen, and you've changed careers, and you've got, I get it. But you're lucky if you get a grunt out of each other. Remember? The passion wasn't something we worked at keeping, and the passion can go away. Now, do I think 15 years in it's going to be like the first six months? No. I'm five years in and it's not the same. I'm learning it's deeper and it's more incredible. She still can't keep her hands off me, though. I get it. I understand. <laughs> I really mean I can't keep my hands off her. Like, I remember I used to slap her on the butt all the time and she would smile. Now she gets irritated. Like, all of a sudden she hit 30 and it hurts. Oh, that hurt. Really? Because it didn't hurt five years ago. Oh, I'm moving on. God, God created us with passion. But we allow the routine of life to deplete us of that passion. And I get it. Man, life can beat you up. Someone was very encouraging to me that I got out of the car and I walked in the building. And they said, man, you look like hell. It's like it's been a rough couple weeks. Yeah, it looks like it's been a rough couple months. It's like, thanks. Life can beat you up. 
the problems and the pressures and the stresses of life can drain the passion. Trust me, I get it. I get it. But again, we have one shot at this life. Howard Thurman said this. I love this quote. He said, don't ask what the world needs. Don't ask what the world needs. Ask what makes you come alive. Because what the world needs is people who've come alive. Don't ask what the world needs because what the world needs is you living out your calling and you living out your purpose and you seizing every moment and you living a life with zero, not, nil, zilch, no regrets. Seizing the moments. There's a great story. It's one of my favorite stories. I've preached on it 15 million times at this church. I love this story because I just think they're nuts. I love everything about it. And it just shows the principles we have to have if we're going to make the most out of this one life. The Bible says in Luke 5, some men were carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him in the house to lay him before Jesus. All right, there's four dudes. The translation says it's four dudes. They're on the mat. One's on this corner of the mat. One's on this corner of the mat. One's on that corner of the mat. One's on the Their buddy can't walk. He's laid out on the mat. And they tried to take him to the house to lay him before Jesus. They knew their buddy was sick. They knew their buddy couldn't walk. They knew the only answer for their buddy was Jesus. Oh, by the way, that's a sermon right there. The only answer for whatever you got, your hurt, your habits, your hang-up, your drug abuse, your alcoholism, your marriage problems, your kids' problems, your career problems, your financial problems, your depression problems, your anxiety problems, whatever it is you're dealing with, hey, the only answer is Jesus. That sermon was free today. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friends, your sins are forgiven. Skipping down to verse 24. This is, this is, this is Jesus. He said, But I want you to know the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been laying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed. Praise God. They were all filled with awe and said, man, we have seen remarkable things today. I love this passage of Scripture. It focuses on the determination and intentionality of a group of men who are willing to seize their moment. (laughs) I mean, nothing was going to stop them from getting their friend to Jesus. I, I dig the end of that scripture. Oh, thank you for leaving that up, Xander. I dig the end of this scripture. We have seen remarkable things today. You know how you see remarkable things? You seize every moment and every opportunity you have in life, and you'll see remarkable things. I wonder if the reason we don't see remarkable things anymore is because we don't do remarkable things. We have allowed society to castrate us, to neuter us, to tell us how we should act and what we should be and what we should do. And we live in such a day and time of political correctness that we're too scared to do anything, even go after what we want in life. To see remarkable things, you've got to do remarkable things. That one's free too. 
these dudes. They're trying to get their friends to Jesus. And in verse 19, they run into a problem. They said there were so many people crowded around Jesus that they couldn't get through there. They said there were so many people crowded around that there was no way to get their friend to Jesus. My emotions kind of get real weird here. Because the emotion that most of us would have had would have been like, you know what, we tried. There's nothing we can do about it, man. We gave it an old high school try. Sorry, bud. And this is where so many of us are today. Our life is so crowded with stuff that it doesn't matter what you do, you don't have time for what matters. There were so many people around Jesus that it would have been really easy for them not to move forward. But don't miss this. These men knew they had one shot. These men knew that they had one opportunity. These men knew they could not look back at their friend 12 months from now and live a life with regret and say, man, what if we could have got him to Jesus? You know what we could have done? You know what we should have done? No, man, they were going to do something remarkable. And they were going to seize the moment. And if you're going to live a life with no regrets, if you don't want to be looking back at the summer of 69 in your life and thinking about how things used to be and how great things used to be, and you want to look back today and say, man, today was an incredible day. Today was a good day. Today was a great day, and tomorrow is going to be a better day because I refuse to allow my memories to outshine my future. you got to do some things because the problem is life gets crowded. How many of you have children? Man, how many of you got a job? How many of you got bills? How many of you got drama? Boom. How many of you got Facebook? <laughs> you got drama. <laughs> how many of you got stress? How many, I was going to say, how many of you married to your stress, but don't, I'm not going to ask that. Because Rhonda will be down there praising Jesus on the front row. Listen, life gets crowded. And that crowdedness keeps us from living the life we were created for. So what do we do? We got to do some things. The first thing we got to do is we, we got to do something drastic. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof. And they lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. Check it out, check it out, check it out. They're trying to get their friend to Jesus. There's too many people. Most of us would have said, man, let's get out of here. Let's walk away. Most of us would have turned around and said, man, we tried. We gave it the old college try, but not these dudes. Check out what they did. They said, hey, hold my beer. You know what we should do. If we could climb on that roof right there of the house that's not ours, because if it was their house, they'd be inside with Jesus. Once we climb on that roof, we ought to cut a hole in that roof. <laughs> Drop our boy right down in front of JC. That's pretty drastic. That's pretty game changing. That's pretty insane. <laughs> 
But if you're going to live a life of passion and you're going to live a life with no regrets and you're going to live a life where you see remarkable things, you're going to have to do some drastic things in your life. You're going to have to make some drastic lifestyle changes in your life. Listen, most of us would have turned around, but they said, hey, let's get up on the roof today. Listen, listen, listen. I'm not talking today about altering your life a little. I'm talking about doing whatever it takes, whatever is necessary to live the life you know you were created for. And I know it sounds cliche, but it's so true. If you keep doing what you've been doing, you'll keep getting what you've been getting. Just going through the motions because you keep doing the same thing. Going to the job you hate, paying the bills on the things you didn't need, not working at your marriage, not spending time with your kids, not chasing your passion, not seizing the moment. You got to shake things up. I want to challenge you today. I want you to ask a drastic question every day. Here's that question. If we're going to do drastic things, we got to ask drastic questions. Here it is. If you had one month to live, how would you live your life? reality is I'm not trying to be doom and gloom today you don't know that you got a month to live now I get if you had one month to live you'd quit your job and you do whatever I get and you can't do that I understand I'm not stupid I'd spend more time with my family I'd finally be the husband go eight seconds on a bull named Fu Manchu whatever Tim McGraw says in his song <laughs> what would you do would you take that trip? Would you blow off that meeting and go spend time with family? Would you go learn that new thing you've been wanting to learn? What would you do? You got one shot at life and you're playing it safe. I see nowhere where this book says to play it safe. But what if I do something drastic and I fail? Who cares? Like, we have made failure the end all. We've made failure like the, the end of the world. You fail every day. You screw up every day. I'd rather try and fail than to live my life wondering, what if I'd have tried? I've got news for you. <laughs> You're going to fail. We're kind of in a, a period right now career-wise, man, where both of us are clicking. There's a lot of failure in the last five years. I put a lot of festivals on and spent a lot of nights sweating bullets over losing money. And I robbed Peter to pay Paul a lot to learn how not to do it. We're four years in. Starting to get it dialed in. Other doors opening. My wife got a big opportunity this week. Because the last four years, man, she was low man on the totem pole. Working. Pounding. It's time away from the family. And doing her thing. Lost a couple of her jobs because of, of their requirements. For it to all pay off. 
You're going to try some things, and you're going to fail at some things, but you keep doing those things, and eventually they pay off. We've got to do something drastic. The question's a game changer, man. If I could do anything in my life, if I could live like I was dying, what would I do? Second thing you need to do, if you're going to live the life you were created for, you're going to seize the moment. You've got to expect the unexpected. It's human nature. We prioritize our life based on what's important. You plan. You come up with your plan. We should do planning. But newsflash for you. Things don't always go as planned. Life has a tendency to interrupt you. There will always be things that come into your life. There will always be things that are crazy and hectic. That's when you've got to lighten up and just tell God, man, I, I give it to you. <laughs> you ever say something stupid to your wife? I guess it's about a year ago I told my wife, I said, she's stressed and she's running ragged every day. I said, me, the king of not being organized. I said, you just need to schedule your days better. I said, I don't understand. I said, you bring, you know how you say something stupid, you just keep getting deeper into it. And like everything, he's like, abort, 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 shut up. Like I could see the look on her face. And I'm like, you bring the craziness on you. I saw the head cock back and the jaw stiffen. She said, okay. I'm going to plan my life out just like you said. And the first day she laid out her schedule and be dang if the kids didn't get sick and have to go to the doctor. I said, taking the kids to the doctor? No, you can't. I got my day planned out. And the next day, I needed her to do something. I said, hey, I, can you do this for work, for the festival? No, it's not on my schedule today. And we went through about a two-week period where, for the first time, I realized how insane our lives are. Here's the deal. Your lives are insane, too. And I believe we ought to plan and I believe we ought to prepare. And the Bible talks a lot about planning. And the Bible talks a lot about preparing. And, and, and at the end of the day, though, we need to realize that the unexpected is going to come along. Life is going to have curveballs. I've always joked. I said, I've never, I, I, I literally still think this is true. I've been in full-time ministry for 20 years. I don't think anybody I've ever pastored has went to the hospital between 9 and 5. Ever. Hey, it's 2 o'clock, man. So, so I said, oh, cool, I'm there. Like, like, people, no one has babies during 9 to 5. It's 2 in the morning. No one gets rushed to the ER during the day. It's right when you sit down to eat dinner. This church is the king of their lives falling apart when we finally go out of town. We go out of town like, so-and-so has this, so-and-so's got a death. I'm like, okay, we're down here at the beach. Put them on the phone, I'll pray. I'm like, It's crazy. But if you're going to seize the moment, you've got to expect the unexpected. These dudes had a plan. They're going to show up. They're going to get their friend in front of Jesus. But life happens. And sometimes when life happens, the best plans are worthless. 
yet they still knew God was in control. When the unexpected comes along and you expect the unexpected, you learn to get real creative. And these jokers say, let's get on the roof. And then check this out. This is awesome to me. When they adapted and they made the changes and they went with the moving of the Spirit, they got their friend, they did something drastic, they got him before Jesus. Look what the Bible says in verse 20. When Jesus saw, what's that next word? Say it louder. One more time, quit acting like you're white, act like we're in black church today. God, you guys are horrible. Like, can y'all not do anything? I, I, like, you, I watch you during worship, can't even clap together. We're going to count to three. Let's just act like we got some kind of rhythm. For once, just throw me a bone. I'm going to count three, and we're going to say the word there, okay? One, two, three. When Jesus saw their faith, not the man's faith, when he saw the friend's faith, the ones who could have turned around, who could have walked away, who could have said we gave it a try, who could have said our heart was in the right place, our intentions were good, but there's nothing we could do. When the curveballs came and they got created and they got their friend before Jesus, Jesus saw their faith. He said, friend, your sins are forgiven. They were expecting Jesus to heal him. That's why they did what they did. Man. But, but notice before he healed their physical issues, he healed their spiritual issues. He did the unexpected. They knew physically their friend was going to be healed, but Jesus said, I forgive your sins. He said, before I can make you physically whole, I need to make you spiritually whole. That man could have looked at Jesus and said, Jesus, don't you get it, man? I, 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 I'm laying on this mat. I, I can't walk. That's great that you're forgiving my sins, but don't worry about that stuff. Just heal me physically. But he didn't do that. The man received the unexpected. He took the spiritual healing, believing that the physical healing was going to come. We need to learn in our life how to receive the unexpected because Jesus knows what's best for us. Jesus knew this man needed spiritual healing more than physical healing. And there's times in your life that you're praying for one thing and you're praying for one thing and you're praying for one thing and another door opens up and you don't understand why it's opening up and you don't understand why Jesus is doing what he's doing. He's like, just breathe. I got this. Remember in Isaiah it says he goes before us and makes the crooked places straight. You didn't see what was coming up around the corner, but he did. We have to come to the place in life where we make our plans, we decide what's important, we prioritize, but when life interrupts us and life doesn't go like we think it ought to go, we're willing to step back and be like, hey, cool, God, you got this. Our problem is we lay out our plans, and when our plans don't go the way we want our plans to go, we get angry with God. Let me make this very clear to you. God don't work on your time frame. God, I, 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 think, <laughs> I think one of the worst prayers that we pray is we ask God to get involved in the middle of what we're doing instead of asking God to put us in the middle of what he's doing. Can I be real honest with you today? This don't look nothing like I pictured five years ago. I only knew one way to do church. I picture thousands of people coming in every Sunday. 
I pictured having the biggest church in town again, pretty buildings and talking about money every week. And then the thought of that made me want to vomit. And he sent me a family instead of a church. And it looks a lot different than I ever expected. I had this pastor call me last week, and he's blah, 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 and he's talking about this and talking about and he's talking about church, and I'm thinking, well, like, it was weird to me because I was like, is he talking about church? Like, I don't even know. Like, that's not the church I pastor. He said, I'm just worried that your people worship you. I said, trust me, they don't worship me. <laughs> trust me, they don't worship me. I said, the only way they can tolerate me is because they worship Jesus. <laughs> now, you need to understand, sometimes the unexpected comes along, and it don't always look like God. Or what we picture God looking like. They got to this house, it was crowded. It didn't look like this was a miracle of God fixing to happen. But God got them up on the roof. Sometimes what we look at as a problem, God looks at as an opportunity. <laughs> they begin to change their plans, and when they change their plan, because the unexpected came along, God began to do something unexpected. God's an unpredictable God in the sense that his mind doesn't operate like our mind works. We think one, two, three, four, five. We think linear, and God thinks boom, 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 and around this wheel, and boom, and this is what's going to happen. We start with the beginning in mind, and God starts with the end in mind and works backwards. You don't understand why you're in that fire today, but God does. You don't understand why you're going through that hard today, but God does. It might not be revealed to you 10 years down the road, and all of a sudden you're going to be like, whoa, bam. Whoa. That's why I did that. That's why I went through that. That's why that curveball came along. They say the best baseball players are those that can hit the curveball. If you can't hit the curveball of life, you're going to be miserable. These guys could have missed out on the blessing or their friend getting healed, but they expected the unexpected and they adapt. Second, third thing we need to do, we've got to get out of here, I'm hungry. I got too, spent too long on that one. You want to seize the moment. You want to live the day. You want to make the most of everything. Do not miss this, and I am horrible at this, and when I'm good at it, it's when my life, and when my life, I start to think I don't need it anymore. It's like a person who has kind of, um, I want to be real delicate here in what I say. Um, they have maybe mental issues, or they have, not mental issues, they have some kind of thing in their own medicine, and the medicine makes them operate and function really well. And they start functioning really well. And they're like, I don't need my medicine anymore. No, the reason you're functioning really well is because you're on that medicine. You know? So you get off the medicine. And then you go loopy. And, and I don't mean that in a disrespectful way. This is me. I, I get in a really focused place right here. And I'm good, 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 good. And then I get good. And I'm like, I quit doing it. Third thing is, is we got to create some God space. We got to create some God space. When they cannot find a way to the house because of the crowd, they went up on the roof. They lowered him on the mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. Right there in the middle of the crowd. Right there in the middle of the chaos. Right there in the middle of the insanity. Right there in the middle of everything going wrong. 
They made room to get in front of Jesus. In the same way of our overscheduled lives, our busy lives, our crowded lives, our kids and our spouses and our jobs, we have got to make time for Jesus. Christine and I can sometimes be guilty of being what I like to call win-men thinking. When this happens, then we'll do this. When this happens, then we'll do that. When this happens, then we'll get around to doing that. When life is not so busy, I'll get back to my one-on-one time with God. If we're not doing the important things, when life's crazy, we'll never get to doing the important things. One of the most important things you can do in the midst of your craziness, in the midst of your life, is making time for God daily. If all you're getting with worship is this once a week, you're starving yourself. Nobody eats one meal a week. Every day. I'm not talking about hours upon hours, but every day you ought to be 10, 15 minutes in this book. 10, 15 minutes with just some praise music. 10, 15 minutes just praying to God. Getting in tune. Gary, I just don't have time. Bull crap. Bull crap. You spend two hours a day smoking. You got time. You binge watch every show that you love on Netflix. You have time. You have time for the podcast. You have time. And there's nothing wrong with those things. I'm not saying those things are bad. But call a spade a spade. When it's BS, say it's BS. You make time for what's important. My wife tells me that all the time, and I hate when she says it, but I'm going to say it to you. You make time for what's important. I don't feel like it. I get it. There's times I don't feel like it. There's times I feel like I pray and it hits that ceiling. There's times I, I get angry with God. There's times I don't want to fool with God. You say, I thought you were a pastor. There's times me and God don't see eye to eye. And it's in those times that it becomes the discipline of doing it. The discipline of making time and creating that time. Even Jesus understood this concept. It says very, very early in the morning when it was still dark, Jesus got up, he left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. When they found him, they exclaimed, everyone's looking for you. (laughs) Jesus understood the importance of creating God's space in his life. He understood the time of taking him. You you weren't more busy than Jesus. He couldn't go anywhere without crowds flocking him. But he understood the importance of getting off and getting alone and being with God. It even says the disciples tried to make him feel guilty about it. Everyone's looking for you. Every, man, everyone wants to know where you're at. You're disappointing them. They're expecting you. But Jesus knew. Don't miss this. Jesus, oh, don't miss this. this is, I'm preaching to myself right now. Jesus knew he couldn't minister to others if he didn't let God minister to him. Soundbite Gary today, boy. You can't minister to others when you're running on empty. You ought to make time. You ought to start. The Bible talks a lot about starting your day with God. Get up 15 minutes earlier. Trust me, it ain't going to kill you. You'll get up 15 minutes earlier for what's important. 
the, this is probably the most important step in maintaining your passion in a crowded world. I, I got to be honest, I'll, I'll, confession, I, I mean, I've been really bad about this lately. We have a prayer closet in our house, and I haven't been in it. And I was, even told Kristen, I said, I'm just going to go in there and paint it. Well, I said, because I don't want to see the things on there. Some of them are heartache. I don't want to see them. going to paint over it. And then I got to think, I said, well, wait a minute, though. That, or I could look at it as, man, look at all these things I prayed about God answered. I, I just not, I, I, I get in it, man. I and mean, Christine will tell you when I'm in it, dude, my life is, I'm a different person. But I let the tyranny of the urgent keep me from it. You've got to create God's space. It'll change your life. When I'm at that place where I've got a hundred things to do and I can't remember what they are and I'm confused and I don't know what to do and I'm feeling overwhelmed, that's the time I ought to be creating God's space instead of eliminating God's space. Proverbs 10, 27 says, Reverence for God adds hours to each day. Check this out. I'm going to give you a real spiritual principle. I just wish I had more hours in the day. You want more hours in your day? Put God first in your day. Reverence for God adds hours to each day. Are you telling me if I put God first, Gary, all of a sudden I'm going to have a 30-hour day? Nope. But that 30 minutes of drama might go away. That 20 minutes of stressing over finances might go away. That 50-minute fight with your spouse might go away and you just freed up two more hours. Want more hours to your day? Put God first. Good God Almighty, I'm preaching to myself. Reverence for God. I don't even remember sticking that in my notes. Xander might have added it. It seems weird. It's in a weird placement here too. Last, and I'm done. We're going home. Keep a constant reminder. Keep a constant reminder. Jesus said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up. Oh, by the way, take your mat and go home. Now, that's interesting to me. Jesus could have told the man, get up, take your mat, and go throw it in the trash. You don't need it anymore. But he said, get up, take your mat, and go home. The man didn't need the mat anymore. But I think God knew that he needed the reminder. Because what happens in the craziness of life is we forget how far God's brought us. We forget when God restored our marriage. We forgot when God put us back together. We forgot when we were financially broke and couldn't pay the bills and God delivered over and over and over and over again. We forgot the last time we went through hell with our children and God restored that relationship. And we get down and we get in the dumps and we begin to feel sorry for ourselves. And we forget what God has done in our lives. I believe God wanted this man, because here's the deal, the guy's human. Life's going to get real hectic for him. Guess what, he's got legs now, he can walk now, he's probably got to go get a J-O-B. He's walking around now, he might get him a chick. He's about to find a whole new set of problems he didn't have when he couldn't walk. And every time he starts to feel sorry for himself, I want him to, he, he's like, look at that mat. 
Lord, I was laid out on the corner begging for money because I couldn't even walk. That's why I don't think I could go in there and paint that room. I want that reminder. You remember when she was ready to kill me? And didn't know if she wanted to be married to me anymore? And now she's at least 70% sure she wants to be married to me? Man, look what God has done. We need a reminder. You, you, you need some reminders of where God's brought you, where you don't go back. <laughs> you got to do something drastic, you got to expect the unexpected. You need to make God's space. Figure out whatever that reminder is. Now, I didn't say a reminder you dwell on nonstop. I see this with addicts all the time. They dwell on it. No, no, no. But you need a reminder. Don't forget where God's brought you. Don't forget that feeling. Every time, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but anybody here that I've ever visited in jail, and there's been a lot of you, you know the one thing I always tell you. On the other side of that window, first I laugh at you because that's just my move. I don't know why. I feel awkward for doing it. And I always laugh and I always tell you you look horrible. I'm really pastoral. And the second thing is, I said, don't ever forget how you feel right now. Don't ever forget how you feel right now. Because I want you to remember what it was like to be at your lowest where you don't go back there again. Listen to me. Let's not be singing the summer of 69 for any other reason than it's just a fun song to sing. Let's not be singing the summer of 69 because, man, our best days are behind us. I saw an interesting thing the other day, and it said the largest amount of entrepreneurs in the world are 65 and older because they retire. And they're like, wait a minute. I got 25 years to live. I got 30 years to live. That's a long time. That's a long time. My wife is 33. That's her life. You know all the horrible things she's done in 33 years and the message she's gotten in 33 years? That's a long time to still live. That was a joke. It's okay to laugh. And they're like, man, I, I want to finally chase this dream. And I finally want to go after this. Man, you're never too old to keep pursuing and doing what you want to do. But you can't live in regret. You got to live in today. <laughs>